as you know, we're in this uh, series called Follow Me, and it's a series on discipleship. And as uh, a church, we've articulated these four different steps, or you might c- uh, call them four different expressions or, or um, uh, examples of how we do discipleship, create communities, serve others, and proclaim the gospel, train one another in obedience, and experience and model Jesus' love. And uh, I have said many times and continue to say that if we as a church could actually embrace and embed these in the DNA of our church, in the, uh, each of our hearts and in our lives, in ways that uh, truly gain traction and uh, begin to just transform us, that they become these natural rhythms of how we be the church. I think these, more than anything else, would just transform us as a people. And so uh, these uh, come out of the intentionality of discipline. Uh, discipleship, at the root of it, has this word discipline, that we do things with intentionality. Discipleship doesn't just happen. What are the movements? What are the steps that we can take that actually engage in discipleship? And that's what this series uh, has been about. And so today, we want to talk about the one uh, about serving others and proclaiming the gospel. And that step, again, potentially has these two components that are distinct and different, but they go so hand in hand together. And we want you to always see and understand that they they do go together because they should not be separated, even though oftentimes in church we do separate these two things. Churches have divided over these things. Sometimes conferences or denominations have divided over these things where one or individuals emphasize one certain aspect of of actually uh, serving others, or what you might call the social gospel, of taking care of the physical needs of people who have very real needs. And then there's the other aspect, which you might call salvation gospel, which is about this proclamation of Jesus who died on the cross and who rescued us, saved us, and forgave our sins that we might be reconciled to the Heavenly Father and this eternal hope that we have. And so sometimes these two things have been put up against each other in a way that's been really unhelpful. And it creates this divide when really it's these two components of the gospel that are need to be held in tension and both embraced really intentionally because you cannot read Scripture from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew text that we see in the Old Testament through to the New Testament of the writings of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the churches. As you read the Gospels and you see the life of Jesus and how he lived and what he taught, you cannot read Scripture without seeing these two things always going hand in hand. And that it's not about making it about one, that one is more godly or more purposeful or more right or whatever, and the other one is somehow lesser than. But that the gospel is this truth that we embrace, and it has these components. And so we want to see them today and and hold them today and to understand them today in a very uh, tangible and practical way. One of the places that we see this is in Matthew 22, and I encourage you to turn there. In Matthew 22 is this uh, text where Jesus is asked, a challenging question by the religious leaders of that time. And he is interacting with them, and and he's asked this question, um, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? So in Matthew 22, this, this question is asked of him, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And it's actually a trap in many ways. And so these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, these teachers of the law, these people who understood the, the Jewish Torah, they were often, apparently, uh, were ones who would debate, even rabbis would debate about which were the greatest commandments, which were the most important ones. And they sort of made categories of these are the great ones and then these are sort of the lesser ones. And so that's probably some of the background as this question was being asked of Jesus of, well, which one is the greatest? What's the greatest commandment in the law of Moses? And so that would have been shorthand for 
the entirety of Scripture as they would have known it, right? Because the New Testament didn't exist at that point. They were living the New Testament at this point in time. And so what they knew as the Scriptures were, you know, the Old Testament writings of the, of the Law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. And so they're asking, which is the greatest commandment in all of this? And so Jesus replies and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which is the Shema. And he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And this was a very commonly understood recitation because if you were a good Jewish person, you were actually required to recite this at least twice a day. And so they knew this Deuteronomy 6.5. They knew this Shema. They knew how to say this. So Jesus starts there, and they would have understood this very quickly and recognized it. Yeah, yeah, this is the greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But then Jesus goes on to say that this is the first and greatest commandment, but then a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Here Jesus is doing something unique and different, that he, for the first time that we see in Scripture, he brings this quotation from Leviticus 19.18, and he combines it now with this Shema that they would have known and understood as the greatest commandment, and he puts them together, and he says it is equally as important. It is just as great. Now, they might have thought, well, the the first one is the highest-ranking one, and the second one is sort of secondary, but that's not what he's saying. He said it is equally important. So think about it, if you, if you have kids and you have children and more than a few children, then somebody might ask you, so which is your favorite kid? Which one do you love the most? And you say, well, it depends on the day. But in our family, oftentimes I'll say, you know, Kelly, you're my favorite Kelly, and Courtney, you're my favorite Courtney, and Hannah, you're my favorite Ken- Hannah, and Jody, you're my favorite Jody, you know. That's the way we get through that. But you can't separate it, and you can't put them in order, and you can't say which one is the greatest or that you love the most. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying, the second one is equally as important, and you need to understand these together because there is both a vertical component of our love for God, and there is a horizontal component of our love for God that needs to be just as evident and just as real and tangible. And we can fall in the ditch on either side in this emphasis where we emphasize one aspect of the gospel or one aspect of what it means to love God over and above another aspect. And Jesus is saying you need to hold these together. That it's not just some kind of emotional worship of God and words and songs and so on, nor is it just kind of putting your head down and serving others. But it is this combination of these two. Many years ago in 1992, Gary Chapman wrote this book that many of you know. It's called The Five Love Languages. It became very popular, a bestseller, and uh, some of you have had it quoted out loud to you by your spouse over time. Um, but the book is helpful in the sense that it actually gives you some handles to what love looks like and feels like. And, and the whole premise of it is that people give love and receive love in different ways. And so he articulated some helpful things like words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, physical touch. These are all different love languages that we can understand. And so in, in some ways, when you think of at least two of them, words of affirmation and acts of service, it kind of connects to what we're talking about today in terms of how we actually love God and love others. It's one thing, and some people really connect to words of affirmation because words matter to them. 
But then for other people, it's like, I don't care what you say, it's what you do that matters, and I just want you to serve or clean up after yourself. Do something, right? So here in this text that we just looked at with Jesus, he's saying there's both a a vertical and a horizontal component of our love of God, and they need to go hand in hand, and they need to align. So let's look at them individually, first of all, and then we'll kind of pull them together again at the end. So Mark chapter 10, flip over to the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 10, uh, the author here has us look at something that Jesus says about service. And Jesus has been teaching his disciples about the cost of discipleship. He's teaching them that persecution is part of discipleship, that suffering is part of discipleship and sacrifice. These are the core elements of it. And he's he's also talking about how the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdoms of this world. And he says that in the world to come, where there is eternal life, you will see it this way in Mark 10, 31. Many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples about this upside-down kingdom and saying it's different than the kingdoms of this world. And and so as he's talking about this and teaching them about how the road ahead is going to be difficult and challenging and filled with persecution, two of the disciples ask him this most astonishing question. It's quite an audacious question. It, it really reveals how little they understand or how they know what they know. So James and John, as it says, they're known as the sons of Zebedee, they ask this question that, that just shows how little they, they understand. And it essentially goes like this. Hey, hey Jesus, um, you know, when you get to that point where you are sitting on your glorious throne, like when you're sitting on the throne one day, would it be okay if, how about me and my brother, we kind of sit on either side of you? Like we just sort of get the positions on the right and on the left. Would that, be, would that be cool? Now remember the context of what Jesus has just been teaching them. Like talk about missing the point. And I, I find it remarkable that Jesus just doesn't hit them in this moment. Um, his disciples, if you keep reading, they wanted to because it talks about how frustrated and exasperated that they were with these two because they heard what they were asking but jesus is different he is jesus and so he patiently goes on and he teaches them what is different in this kingdom and what it means to be a disciple of his and he says this he says you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them but among you it will be different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here Jesus is saying very, very clearly to them that if you want to be great, you serve others. That if you want to be a leader, you serve others. That if you want to engage in God's kingdom, you serve others. That if you want to love God, you serve others. If you want to follow Jesus, you serve others. Because Jesus said that even he, as the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. Even to the point of dying on a cross as a ransom for many. Taking on our sins so that we can be reconciled with the Heavenly Father. The ultimate act of service and sacrifice. And his invitation to follow. What I wanted to do this morning is give an opportunity to hear a couple of short testimonies about service, about what it means to serve and the implications of serving, but also what's it like to be blessed by others who serve. And so I'm going to invite uh, uh, Ron McKay and Krista Corey, if they would come up at this time.
And I've asked them to just share a, a little bit about their stories. And uh, I really appreciate the two of you uh, doing this in both services. And so thank you for being here uh, and for being a part of this. Um, and Ron, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, I asked Ron just to share a little bit. Ron is uh, uh, an elder in our church. He serves on our council. He gives leadership in that way. He serves in prayer ministry. He serves uh, also in the, in the mums program on Tuesday morning. And I know that, uh, you know, Ron would love to have the spotlight on other people and shine on other people who are serving because there's lots of people who serve on Tuesday mornings and in so many ministries throughout the week and, and on and on, Sunday mornings as well. But Ron, you've uh, had a number of many years of, of serving on, on Tuesday mornings in the mums program, and I know that you push the kids around or the mums are in the lounge and they have their morning out, they have a break, and you love to bless them in that way. But talk a little bit about what motivates you to serve and just why you do what you do and, and you and so many others who are involved in that way. And so just describe uh, the motivation for, for that for you. Well, first of all, I am a very small cog in a big machine, but uh, I was remiss in the last service, and I'm going to say it in this service, uh, the machine might be big, but it could always be bigger. So if some of you are motivated to serve, if, if the Lord is tugging on you, Mom's program is a great thing, and Krista is going to tell you how great it is here in a minute. But uh, anyway, uh, Bruce had asked me what motivated me, and I thought of one thing, and I thought of another, and I thought of another, and on and on. So I'm going to mention three of them. Um, one, one thing that motivated me was, was uh, to be able to be part of something that was leading people one step closer to Jesus. Uh, when I see these moms come in, they're excited. They want to be there. They want to learn. They want to fellowship. They want to be in community. And uh, that is you know, joy is contagious. So that is something that motivates me to be there so that, you know, we can look after the kids for a few hours while you get closer to God and closer to others. So that's one thing that, that motivates me. And uh, another one is the kids themselves. You know, we, uh, I wheel the kids around in a stroller and oftentimes I put my phone on with Spotify and have Christian music playing and I'm singing and and you get in the worship mode, and, and there's a young life sitting there, lying there in front of you. And just, it's humbling to be able to pray into that life as well. So that motivates me to be there. Um, but as I alluded earlier, being a small cog in a big machine, uh, the other people, they, they motivate me. The other servers, uh, not only the mums motivate me, but the the other servers that are there, um, you know, we we take take encouragement and take joy from each other. And and uh, Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five talks about spurring each other on to love and good deeds. So that's what we do. And then uh, twenty five says uh, encouraging, you know, meeting together and encouraging one another. So so we do that, and I know that mums do that too. And Chris is gonna talk about that so that's a few of the things that motivate me but i don't want to go on forever so thank you ron stay here while krista shares great so krista thank you for doing this again and uh just introduce yourself a little bit to this congregation and just somehow you got connected to our church okay so uh, mom's ministry is actually how our family started attending this church i had just had my second kid, and for those of you that know, going from one kid to adding another one, it's a different kind of parenting, and 
And I was looking for some community like I had had when I had my first. So I knew one person that went to this mom's group. She told me about it. So, so I came and instantly found connection. Um, one week, I remember, if you remember Christy Epp, who was, uh, used to attend here, she was on the leadership team and she said, um, there's this amazing program, Power Up, for kids and you. And I thought, oh, either they're paying her to say this or it's actually pretty awesome. So we checked it out one of the Sundays and for us that kind of solidified uh, becoming part of this church family. Now, Chris, I know that uh, some people had seen a Facebook post that you had kind of were just so excited about the Mums program starting in and the impact that it's had on you. Between services, somebody was creeping you on Facebook and said that it might be your birthday today on Facebook. Was that true? So just remember, we won't sing happy birthday to you, but is it your birthday today? Yes. yes, thank you. That's awesome. Give her a hand for that. Okay. Yeah, see, this is why I don't do Facebook. Yeah, because then people don't find you're out You're making me yeah. just cancel it now. No, it's all good. Anyways, on there, you talked about, you know, just uh, what you're excited about and just the transformation that's happening in your life and just the things that, of people who serve, people like Ron and so many others who serve and the impact that it's made on you. Talk a little bit about that, about the transformation that that's made in your life. Yeah, okay. Um, I could go on forever too, Ron, but I'll stick to a few things. So um, parenting is hard. It's really hard, and I don't think it's meant to be done with one or two people at home. It, when we dedicated our children, it really was meant to be part of a community, and, and these volunteers, they really do help us raise our babies. It's hard to raise um, them at home and, and everywhere so they really have an impact in that my son was the little baby that I would drop off and he'd be crying and crying and crying and feel guilty and they said it's okay it's okay it's okay every week and um, he made it right he was okay but I just really appreciated that um, that confidence they had they're like we've done this he's going to be fine and um, Ron had mentioned earlier that uh, we come for a variety of reasons one one is the community and the friendship. I've met so many wonderful women, and they come and go in your life. Some stay, but it's meant so much. And we also have mentor moms serving at our, our tables. For those of you that don't know that, we look to these women with uh, experience and guidance, and sometimes they just say, you're doing fine, and that's all you need to hear, and they're crying, and, and then it's, it just is uplifting. Sometimes we come for the food. Um, we have quite the spread... <laughs> If you come check it out, it's a Pinterest page in itself of, of everyone trying to kind of one-up each other, I guess, a little bit, <laughs> right? Um, or you can get Timbits. It's totally fine, too. But we have these wonderful women in the kitchen who are there bringing, setting everything up, taking it away, and they make sure we always have our coffee, like, right to the top, and we have some fruit, so at least we're getting some, some vitamins. And the, the last thing I want to say is... We come for the learning. You know, not everybody attends this church. Some attend another church. Some have never attended a church, and it doesn't matter. But we do uh, teach about God and just how the community of that. Um, as a table leader, I'm always super relaxed if I know. Do you guys know Marlon Hagee and Maureen Brown? <laughs> I'm going to call you out again. Um, when you hear that they are speaking that day as a table leader, you just, oh, okay, I'm good. These ladies have it down. They have us crying. They have us laughing. They have us writing everything down, and they were taking pictures. We're just taking it all in. So, And it stays. We take these conversations home and discuss it with, with our partners at home or our parents or whoever's helping us, and it, it makes a huge difference. That's yeah. awesome. So can we just say thank you to Krista and Ron, and happy birthday, Krista. Thank you.
I wanted you to just hear just a little bit, a small window, and they each, as they said, could go on, and so many others could share their stories. But the impact of both serving, and when you serve in community, the whole thing that community has created and that it's formed, and then also being on the receiving end of, of people who serve, the impact that it has. And that happens throughout our church. And so, as was mentioned, I mean, there still is a need. If you would like to serve in even that ministry, in the mom's ministry, there's still a need for volunteers and people to serve in that way. And, and so I'd encourage you to consider that. Or maybe there are other areas in the church that uh, God is just prompting you and nudging you to serve. But the impact is uh, incredible, both on the people who are serving and those who are being served. But let's turn our attention here for a little bit on to the other side of this step of uh, proclaim the gospel. And again, it's like these two pedals on the bike. You can kind of push with one pedal, but if you get both of them going, I think it just works a whole lot better that we would serve others and proclaim the gospel with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And one of the exercises that I sometimes like to do with people is to ask them, uh, if you were to explain the gospel, so we're talking about proclaiming the gospel, if you were to explain the gospel in one sentence, how would you describe it? And it's a challenging exercise. I remember when it was first given to me, and I struggled with that for a while as well too, but I for me, I, I boiled it down to this. So this is my example of that. I say that the gospel is the hope and the promise for all creation of restored intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. Now, there's my definition. You might have a better definition. But in one sense, that just sort of captures some of it. Here's the incredible story of God, of God's re- rescue story, God's redemption story of restoring us to the Heavenly Father through Jesus and what He's done. And and so we are called to proclaim this gospel in all kinds of different ways. And we proclaim it to the nations. It's a story that we join with the ancients of history. And we proclaim it together with them, telling of God's goodness and living out of this story. It's a story that we enter into with all of our being. It's a story that gives context to our lives and to our own story. And it helps us to make sense of our story and our experiences as we understand this story. And so this is what we proclaim. And this story, this truth, this person of Jesus, which is what this story is all about, is the only story that can truly transform individuals, transform families, transform communities, and transform nations. And so this is what we proclaim. We are called to proclaim. I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 96, and I want to read Psalm 96 for us. And this is an incredible psalm of proclamation. Where the psalmist is just, it seems like the psalmist is just overflowing with this truth and this proclamation of who God is and his love for us and then how he transforms us and rescues us. And I want to today, as we read this word, I want to ask you to stand. If you would just stand where you are and I'm going to read it, but just to allow this word to seep into your hearts, to join in. Uh, as I said in the first service, this is where it'd be really appropriate if you would say an amen, hallelujah, you know, get out that charismatic part of you, uh, let it loose. Uh, but there's just some really good declarations in here. So it says this, the psalmist, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. 
The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. You know, this is, this is more than just an invitation to praise. This is like this authoritative command to just worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to, to declare his goodness among the nations. It's this summons to us as individuals, to us as a church, to all of creation, to just give praise and glory to God that we might sing a new song every day. That every day we could sing a new song. That every day we would publish His deeds as it says. That we would sing, praise, proclaim, publish, tell, tweet, post, text, email, live. Out of these truths and this proclamation. The psalmist is saying, use all the media that you can. Tell everyone about God's greatness because God is so good and faithful. Even sometimes despite our circumstances that are so challenging. So that we would... Look to God and be transformed in an ongoing way by this reality, by this truth, each and every day. That we would sing a new song today. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can sing this song, that you can let your life sing. What's the testimony and the proclamation of your calendar? What's the testimony and the proclamation of your credit cards and your debit cards and how we spend our money? What's the testimony and the proclamation of our relationships? What's the testimony of our response to injustice or when things don't go the way we would want them to go or there's injustice or unfairness? What's the testimony and and declaration and proclamation of our lives when we're in pain or when we're actually succeeding and it's in victory? What's the legacy of our life here on earth? You know, we can sing with our lives in all kinds of ways that point to the glory of God and His goodness. And so our call in this step of discipleship is to do these two things, to serve and proclaim and to continue to proclaim God's goodness and His glory in the world and in our lives. In Colossians 1.6, the Apostle Paul says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And so one of the ways that we proclaim God's goodness is we just continue to allow God's love to transform us. That we live out of that transformation in an ongoing way. That we would, as this other step says, that we would experience and model the love of Jesus. That that would be ongoing. That out of our lives, that flow of love from God and flow out to other people would be a proclamation of God's goodness and God's glory. And so to live current in the transformation story is part of how we sing a new song every day. Are we allowing Jesus to continue to show love for us and are we flowing out of that to love other people? That it's not just this head knowledge, but that it's something that flows out of our hearts, our hands, our bodies, our souls, and every part of our being. That our expression of discipleship and love for God and other people has this vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship and that they always go together. So the question for you is, what what step do you need to take today? Where are you at in this tension of these things that seem to pull at each other? 
but that we need to hold together. I think for every one of us, we have different inclinations and we're wired different ways. Some of us are way more wired to serve and others of us are way more wired to proclaim or at least to verbalize that. And so we need to do both. Even organizations typically have a bent in one way or another. And I'll think of two that we connect with in different ways as a church. Uh, MCC Mennonite Central Community Committee has been a, a organization we've been uh, connected with for many years and they tend to lean more towards the serving component than the proclamation component. Then we have an organization like Multiply, and which formerly MB Mission, which tends to lean more towards the proclamation component than the serving component. But, but we need them both. We need different organizations that serve in different ways. And so that's why even as a church, we've done different Advent giving projects. And in the weeks and months ahead, you'll hear more about that. But even with that, we, we connect with MCC and we do Buckets of Hope that is this serving component that is more of this horizontal piece. And then also this year in our Advent, we're going to be giving towards these global partnerships through Multiply in terms of how we might proclaim this goodness of God to the nations and hold these two things together. And so my question for each of us today is just as individuals, what, what's the step that God is asking you to take? Because every one of us has the ability to just take a step. And that's why we refer to these as discipleship steps, because these are part of the transformation and obedience that we follow Jesus with. And for every one of us, we just, as we follow the prompting of God and the Spirit of God in us, it's just what, what is the next step? that you need to take towards Jesus and following Him. And I pray that God, through His Holy Spirit, would help you to sing a new song today. I want to invite the worship team up, and if they would come up, and they're going to lead us in more of this proclamation. And as they do, I would invite you to stand, and I want to pray with us in this direction as God continues to transform us more in His image. Would you stand? So Heavenly Father, we just thank You so much for Your incredible rescue story and Your love for us. And Lord Jesus, what You have done on the cross that You died for us, that we could be reconciled to the Heavenly Father and that all creation can be restored in intimacy with You. And so, Lord, I pray that You would help us to live out of this step that has these two really important components. That we would recognize the horizontal and that we would recognize the vertical. And that we would live out of this continuously in our lives, Lord. And that we wouldn't overemphasize one at the neglect of others, but that we would continually walk in this way. So God, help us to sing a new song today. Help us to sing a new song with our lives, regardless of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, Lord, whether it's a time of celebration or a time of pain and struggle. But God, that we might sing a new song of faith and discipleship as we strive to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.